Hello, Wildcats. It's a matter of time and it's a matter of stats. It's a matter of time when it's a matter of facts. It's a matter of time when it's a matter of stats. It's a matter of time when it's a matter of facts. Full cash corner is a matter of fat, fat, fat cats on top. Still humble, rubber bare knuckle. Welcome to the jungle. Red Army Order, Championship Order, Number One Reporter. Full cash corner. All right, what's up, Cool Cats, and welcome back to another episode in the corner. Thank you once again for joining me. You're joining me just post the Brisbane Bullets-Perth Wildcats game, which took place on the Saturday afternoon, 3.30. The Wildcats edging out the Bullets in the end there with a huge 41-point fourth quarter, our biggest quarter for the year, which is a real testament to the guys just digging in and getting the job done when they needed to. Toddy Blanchfield exploding for 31 points. Mitch Norton, 22 points. Really picked up the slack for John Mooney there, who didn't have his best game as a Wildcat, but really good to go on the road in this first road game that we have and take away a W in Queensland. So we have the Taipans next, and the Bullets will follow after that to close out our Queensland road trip. But for this podcast and cracking down into it, we're going to be talking about a few things. I did post a little bit earlier on the Cool Cats Corner Twitter regarding Clint Steinle's performances in NBL 21, and that seemed to get a fair few interactions there. And it was great to hear what people had to say and to actually reason it out with people. Because so quickly you can look at the box score and just murder a guy and not realize his impact in other areas of the game. But we'll touch on Clint's concerns. We'll touch on the building of Will Magne and his minutes. We'll also speak a little bit about resting Cotton and or John Mooney. We'll speak about the animals in the jungle, and here we're going to talk about the attendances at the RAC Arena throughout NBL 21. And finally, I put a story out two days ago asking if any Cool Cats had any questions for the mailbag, and I got a few responses, so I'll be answering those. So what we'll do is we'll kick it straight off with Clint's concerns. And yes, Clint's three-point concerns have been a worry in NBL 21. I'm not disregarding that very clear and obvious fact. In NBL 20, Clint made 70 three-pointers, and he shot 160 for a conversion rate of 44%. In NBL 21, it's down half, so he's shooting it now at 22%, only making 19 three-pointers out of his 86 attempts. So you can see the attempts are down as well. As you can see, there's almost half the amount of attempts, and it's being produced at half the efficiency. However, due to the makeup of this team, I'm not too concerned about his production. Clint's minutes are down from 18 minutes per game in NBL 20 to 13 minutes in NBL 21, and the primary reason for this is the introduction and success of Todd Blanchfield, and we just saw that him against the Bullets going off for 31 points. Todd playing at career best form, and I'm glad the commentary are now recognizing that. So Todd's emergence, coupled with Clint's poor shooting, has pushed Clint right down the edge of the bench for the Wildcats. Currently sitting with the six most minutes, but once Magne gets his minutes up, he'll be the seventh most played Wildcat on the roster. All that being said, however, we quickly forget how Tariko White struggled through NBL 20's regular season, and Clint's shooting provided a pivotal edge for the Wildcats' championship run. His ability to go head down past screens, elevate to the top of his jump shot and get a shot away over pretty much anyone in the league is gorgeous to watch and it's beautiful when it's hitting. At the moment though, there's some shrink wrap over the hoop and he's not getting anything going at all. So though his PER or player efficiency rating we've spoken about numerous times in this podcast is reflective of his shooting as it's down from 15.2 in NBL 20 to 7.4 in NBL 21, Clint isn't exactly a liability on the court. 
So at 200 centimeters tall, six foot five with long arms, he has the ability and has really keyed in on his time on the court on defense. To show you his improvements, listen to this. In NBL 20, Clint ranked 19th in defensive rating for small forwards. In NBL 21, Clint is the second best rated small forward regarding the defensive analytic according to Real GM stats. Clint is only trailing Illawarra's Dang Dang, and he's leading the likes of Scotty Hobson, Brandon Paul, David Barlow, Jesse Wagstaff, Justinian Jessup, Brad Newley, Ben Moore, to name a few. So some real big-time players there and some imports there as well. But when you look at his entire career shooting performance, this season has been an anomaly, and it's very easy to see that. Clint has never shot this poorly for this long, yet the Wildcats remain second on the ladder and finals bound. Any offense Clint adds to this point of the season is only going to push the Cats further. When Clint starts to knock down his threes, it's game over for the NBL. And it's not to say Melbourne United aren't right there and South East Melbourne aren't right there. They're two very formidable squads. But when you add the likes of Will Magnet that I were about to speak about right now, who has averaged about 12 minutes in court time for his first couple of games as a Wildcat, when you add that type of player to your roster and you really build up minutes, it adds a whole new dimension. And head coach Trevor Gleason is going to set up a heap of different plays to allow for counters off different options off Magnet's screening. But let's have a look at Magne's stats, and truthfully, I have not had a good look at his stats since the Brisbane game. I did have a look at his stats prior to that, but what I really wanted to look at more clearly was who he was being subbed in and out for to get a better understanding of who the lineups are going to be come finals time. So Magne checked into the game with about six minutes left in the first quarter for Luke Travers. He quickly picked up some fouls, which is a common occurrence for players coming back to the NBL, and we've all seen that. Magne worked really well receiving the ball inside and then shuffling assists to Mooney allowing us to hammer the paint and providing an angle we haven't seen from the Wildcats in NBL 21. Magne then subbed out for John Mooney with 2 minutes 35 left in the first quarter. The next time we saw Magne was with 8 minutes left in the second quarter when he came in for Wagstaff, a substitution which became more common throughout the matchup as it went on. In this stint on the court, Magne had a chase down block which completely titillated the Red Army before being subbed out for Jesse Wagstaff over 3 minutes later. Magne entered the game once again for Jesse Wagstaff in the third quarter with 5.36 left on the clock. The Wildcats tussled with the game throughout this point, finding themselves in a stalemate trailing United. So Magne once again left the game for Wagstaff with about 30 seconds left in the third quarter, and that was the rest of him we saw for the night. Gleason actually deciding to go with Cotton, Todd, Steindl, Wagstaff, and Mooney to open the fourth quarter, a lineup which I found a bit quirky due to the similar wing play of both Todd and Clint. But back to Will, and looking at his United game, more, more angling in and focusing at that because that will be the big finals matchup. He was scoreless in his 12 minutes as a Wildcat in his debut, but I can only really see that as a success, and it sounds a bit crazy. But we got to see his size, we got a glimpse of him rim running and his rim protection, and he has even more minutes in the tank to give us on the court. Magne will fit the Plumlee role perfectly, if not outplay him. Miles averaged 20 minutes per game in NBL 20, and I wouldn't be surprised if Will played around 25 minutes per game to close out this season. Will Magne's in the building, and he's building an NBL 21. I can't wait for his statement game to close this season out, and hopefully it comes against the Bullets in this second encounter with them. But going on parallel to the conversation about the minutes of Will Magnate is the conversation about resting the superstars in this team, the guys who have been run into the floor, John Mooney and Bryce Cotton. So if the season were to stop after 28 games, just like it has over the last decade, the Wildcats would have their best season under Gleason since his first season as Wildcats head coach, which was 2013-14, when they defeated the 36ers for the sixth NBL championship for the Wildcats. I say this to demonstrate the incredible level this team has played at when compared to Gleason's many premiership teams in the past. The Wildcats have earned every right to rest some of their players, but let's see if they should. So with seven games left in the Wildcats season, 
We're trailing the ladder leaders by about two and a half games and we're clear of Southeast Melbourne by about five and a half games, I think, or six games. And it could be wise resting some of our superstars, especially considering the extreme amount of court time and the hectic schedule to close out this NBL 21 season. Bryce Cotton and John Mooney both play 36 and 34 minutes per game respectively. That's huge numbers. This ranks as number one and number four in the entire NBL for minutes per game. The next two Wildcats are Blanchfield and Norton. So Blanchfield 28 minutes a game, Norton 25 minutes a game, ranked them 21st and 34th. So first, fourth, next 21st and 34th. So it demonstrates the disparity in the minutes of the Wildcats roster and how much these guys are getting played. Now, Cotton has been used to this his entire career, even having led the nation of the United States of America in minutes in college. But he has been hounded, double teamed, banged up, and been made to do a hell of a lot more during NBL 21. The chef is breaking down just this tiny little bit with the intense NBL 21 meeting the COVID-19 schedule. But he's clearly the best player in the league, and I've heard it's quite tricky being the hunted. Game after game after game after game. So with our six games in 11 days, the stretch we're currently in, I would not be opposed to resting Cotton for a few of these games and try and help his body heal. Hey, maybe Bryce wants to play, and I'm, I'm all for that as well. More Bryce Cotton, the better it is for all of us. But we've seen firsthand what Bryce has dealt with since landing in Perth and taking this league by storm. Mooney, on the other hand, should keep his head down and playing at the supreme level he's at. If Mooney can lead a Bryce Cottonless team to a few victories in NBL 21, then maybe he does deserve the MVP. I am still in the camp that Bryce is the defensive scheme bender, and as such is the most important to the Wildcats. But without the scheme bender, let's see if John Mooney can do it. So Mooney is in a great position, so 23 years old as he is in his first professional year, and he has these young legs to sustain this performance. So the introduction of Magne will allow for John to take a slight step back, but I think it's foolish to rest Mooney, as he can work on his on-court chemistry with Will Magne, and we also have to like, not forget that John Mooney's only here for one year. This dude's going to the NBA, so we need to try and enjoy him as we can. So in summation, I'd rest Bryce, play Mooney, introduce Magne. But absolute no shock is there. And what hasn't been a shock is the attendance time after time after time in NBL 21 in the jungle this year. A shout out and testament to the Red Army. And I really want to dig into these numbers a little bit and give you guys the respect and love that you deserve. So lots of being made about the crowds in NBL 21. The people on the West Coast think it's pretty pathetic. But the people on the East Coast think the people on the West Coast are pathetic and rah, rah, rah. But honestly, the attendances don't bother me. Just as Felix von Hoff said on uh, Trash Talk and how they continually say that they're competing against the AFL, NRL, the likes of these winter sports, it's fair enough. And, and the crazy COVID schedule as well, I completely understand. But we show up here in the West. But what I did want to go through is to have a look at these crowd attendances in the jungle and see how you West Australians have rallied behind the Wildcats in this COVID schedule. So there's been 11 games at RAC Arena in NBL 21. Two of these 11 games have had a capacity restriction of 50%. So that was the Southeast Melbourne games back in January. The other nine games had a 75% capacity restriction, with one of the nine games actually being played directly after the hotel quarantine incident, which affected the crowd size. That game was on the 23rd of April against the Bullets. Crowd sizes were not restricted at this point, but lots of fans took the responsible decision to, to stay home and took the precautionary measures. The game itself attracted 4,737 fans, so still was what, three times more than you're getting in the NBL Cup on the East Coast, but it skewed the stats slightly. But considering these capacity restrictions, the potential Wildcat crowd for the season so far has been 120,125 fans. And of those seats, we have filled 102,229 in the jungle. A result of that being an 85% attendance rate by Wildcat supporters this season. So 15% of the seats left empty. 
But if you do remove that outlier bullets game, the numbers do change drastically. And what happens is it puts the numbers up to 90% attendance rate, 10% with the uh, seats empty. And what's 10% GST? But 90% of the jungle field, that's only great for the Wildcats. It shows the support we have. It shows that we always want to get out and support our guys. And it shows why this organization is the way it is and how successful it is. But to give you a bit of a comparison, I'll, I'll chuck another stat at you because I'm a bit stat crazy at the moment. In the 18 days, 36 games of the Melbourne Cup, 49,677 fans turned up. So just under 50,000. In our 11 home games this year, we have more than doubled that. So around 103,000 crazy Red Army fans turning up to see the Wildcats. So we could do what the East Coast does and when the numbers don't look good, ignore them. But in the corner, I think the amazing efforts of the Red Army need to be celebrated. So great stuff, you crazies, and keep getting after it. We're going to break into a little mailbag now. All right, so we're back for a mailbag. We haven't done this in a while, but happy to be back doing this and interacting with the Cool Cats. So continue to interact with us, guys, on social media. So Instagram, it's the Cool Cats Corner. Always chucking out some memes and whatever I find. And if I get a bit bored, I'll, I'll, I'll send one up. And, and on Twitter as well. So the Cool Cats Corner on Twitter. Follow us along. Subscribe to the podcast. A lot of you have, and I really appreciate it. And it's good to, to connect with you guys like this every couple of weeks. But dipping our hand into the mailbag now, and we have one from oh, a long-standing cool cat, a fan since almost day one, I'd say. We have Tom here, but Tom wants to know what the NBL's biggest assets are as a league and what makes it so special. <sighs> so, so a tricky question to answer because there's so many different angles you can really take, and I, I will just kind of go off the top of my head here, but I'd have to say it's so special because of the history. So 1979, it all kicked off. And at that point, it was one of the first national sporting competitions in Australia at the time. And it just has this mass appeal with the youth as a, as a non-contact sport. And you get to really, I, I feel like, put a bit of style on your game. And for 40 minutes, you can flare out and have some fun. And particularly with the NBL itself, I guess that's more around the basketball. But the NBL itself... I guess going back and reading books, so Marvelous by Body, and I've, I've read Damien Keogh's story as well. I've read Cal Bruton's story and read Andrew Gaze's. I've got Lindsay Gaze's book on the way as well. But getting to read these stories, you see just how special this league is and the people who went into putting it together. So I'd say to definitely go and go and learn about the history of the league. But their biggest assets, when you look at it as a, as a league itself, and this is mostly the same with most professional entertainment basketball leagues, is the player's brand and their likeness. Obviously, Kesselman's ability to privately own the league and be flexible and capitalize on short-term gaps in the market, as he's done with the Next Star program. I think that's a massive asset for this league. And the man is continually committed to throwing his hard-earned dollars into the big black pit, which is the NBL. But all love and all power to him, because if he didn't do that, we wouldn't be talking about it and we wouldn't have this great league that we have today. But Tom, I hope I gave you a little explanation there as to what, why I think the NBL is so special uh, and, and some of its assets. Well, I didn't really touch on some of its assets, but when you look at basketball leagues around the world, they're all, they're all pretty similar. It's one of our biggest assets, obviously, is a recruiting pitch to the players is we have a fantastic lifestyle here. A lot of people stay. A lot of Wildcats have managed to lock that in as a long-term solution for these players and, and build a life here in Australia. So I guess from a recruiting pool, that's one of our biggest assets as well. But now going back into the mailbag and pulling out our second and final question for this segment. And this one comes from uh, Rashad. So Rashad wants to know, when was it confirmed that there would be three imports next season? Hammer mentioned it yesterday. So I'd say Hammer said that around Friday on his basketball podcast. But considering the early reports that there may have been no imports for NBL 21, I am for one glad that we do even have two imports in NBL 21, just to, just to quickly touch on that before touching on the three imports next season. 
And, and a quick history on the import restrictions. So in 1979, no import restrictions. And this is also the only time an NBL team without an import has ever won, which was the St. Kilda Saints. Hasn't happened since. So in the early 80s, there was an import restriction to two per team to promote Australian basketball at grassroots. In 16-17, we saw an increase in imports from two to three, and that's what we saw and experienced until this NBL 21 season when COVID restricted the imports from three to two, as Kesselman saw it as a cost-saving method, and this was used to promote equality as some teams couldn't afford the budget due to the reduced crowds. But to touch on the question, Richard, though I haven't seen any official reports of the import restriction, we'll go back to three. I have spoken to some people around NBL circles, and they strongly believe that Larry Kesselman's own league will aim to have three imports. So whether that be next season for NBL 22 or the season after for NBL 23, considering they have the cash reserves, obviously, to afford them. And off the back of our discussion around attendances, we can see that basketball attendances and crowds have been down around Australia, apart from, uh, obviously, here in Western Australia. So maybe we won't see a third import back for NBL 22. But at the same time, given Kesselman's ability to quickly pivot and pull rabbits out of his hat, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that import restriction lifted from two to three in NBL 22. So I've ducked and deaved and dodged my way around that entire question there for you, Richard. But from what I'm understanding, uh, from what I'm hearing, is that it would go back to three, but we need to wait till it's financially viable to get back to three. So we could spend another season with two imports, which, like I said, when there were reports initially, players opting out that there could potentially be no imports, I'm just glad as hell that we have John Mooney and Bryce Cotton on the Wildcats. And if we could add a third, it'd be fantastic, but I think we've managed really well. And I think it's been a nice little wrinkle to this season. So thanks so much for those questions, guys. Thanks so much for tuning back into the corner. It's been a fun spiel with you guys. and We've covered a hell of a lot. If you ever want to interact, follow me on the Cool Cats Corner Instagram. You can also follow my own personal Twitter account, which is at ChockySugo, C-H-O-C-C-Y-S-U-G-O. Give us a follow. I'm always chucking Wildcat stats and stuff up there. That's probably where you'll catch me most frequently. But from me here in the corner, thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute blast. And enjoy this crazy Wildcat schedule of games, games, games. All right. Peace and love, guys. See you.